This week on The Book Show, we're talking about writing and inspiration. And as you can probably hear, I'm not in the studio. I'm sitting on the towpath of the Grand Canal on the south side of Dublin city centre with writer Catherine Ryan Howard, author of The Liar's Girl. Now, for people who aren't familiar with this part of the city, where exactly are we? So we're sitting on a stretch of the canal between Leeson Street and Baggett Street. We're surrounded mostly by office blocks. It's quite a busy part of the city during the morning rush hour, in the evening and during lunchtime, but at all other times I find it a really quiet stretch of the canal. Tree lined, trees looking a bit bare at the moment, couple of barges, we're sitting across from Patrick Kavanagh, looking very thoughtful, and it's just a beautiful slice of nature in the middle of the city. It was the top story. The leaflet's text blurred in front of Will's eyes as he banked each detail. Jennifer Madden, a St. John's College student, a first year going by her age, found in the Grand Canal near Charlemont Lewis Station yesterday, having last been seen at a house party in Rathmines on Saturday night. Gardie are treating her death as suspicious, believed to have suffered a head injury before going into the water. Your second book, The Liar's Girl, takes its inspiration in part from this canal. Do you want to tell us how? Well, this stretch of the canal is actually part of my neighbourhood. Now, I could say I was inspired by it, but the truth is I'm a little bit lazy. And I think, I love the writing advice, write what you know. I also think you should use what you know. So I was walking past here nearly every day, looking at the water and thinking, the canal is so interesting because it has the danger of any other body of water. But I heard a member of the Garda Water Unit say once that it's like a swimming pool. So if something goes in, it stays there and it's shallow enough that it will be discovered. And there have been several bodies discovered in canals around Ireland. Um, How important is place and location uh, to you in this book and what does it do for the reader? I mean, you're not from Dublin, clearly, from your accent. No. (laughs) So so, uh, how important is the place? Well, I wanted someone who was basically like me, you know, who came to Dublin from another area. Now, luckily, I was in my 30s when I did that because I went back to college as a mature student. But it really struck me that if I had come here when I was 18 or 19, the age that people normally are when they go to college, I would have been completely overwhelmed. I mean, to have this whole city, no parental supervision, total playground, no responsibilities, really, when you're a student. Let's, you know. Tell me about the setup for this book, The Canal Killer. So I read an article on GQ years ago about this Swedish serial killer called Thomas Quick. And he was thought to be the most prolific serial killer the country had ever seen. They thought he murdered more than 30 people. He'd been convicted of eight of them. And he was locked up in a psychiatric unit. And he loved to talk about his crimes over and over. Any journalist, any student, he'd happily recount his crimes. And then one day he decided he wasn't going to talk to anyone anymore. And he was quiet for 10 years. And when he spoke again, he had something new to confess. And the little blurb at the top of this article said, it turned out he'd left out the worst part of all. And Mm. I just thought, I got chills. I thought if I walked into a bookshop and saw that on the back of a book, I'd have to buy it. There's your cliffhanger. There's your cliffhanger. What is the worst part of all? Huddled on my doorstep, heads dipped beneath the gutter's narrow overhang in a futile attempt to shield themselves from that morning's heavy rain, were two men about to introduce themselves as members of Angarda Shiokana. Alison Smith, Garda Malone asked. What's wrong, I said. Is it? Are my parents? Everyone's fine. Everything's okay. There's something we need to talk to you about. 
should only take a few minutes. He flashed a smile, but if he was going for reassurance, he fell way short of the mark. What's this about? Shaw finally turned towards me. Our eyes met. Will, he said. So the killer in the novel is carrying out the murders on the canal and today in the spring, sort of mid-grey afternoon, it doesn't feel like a frightening place but in your book it all changes at night. And I believe it does all change at night. You know, this stretch of the canal can be quite busy during the day. It seems quite busy now but at night it becomes a far more desolate place. You've shadows everywhere. Sinister. Very sinister and because it's set away from the road a little bit you have this kind of you know hidden parts of it but also it's you're not protected from the water at all there is no railing or anything like that you know we're only a few feet away here from the water in my mind's eye I saw a flash of a tabloid newspaper's front page one side taken up with a picture of me in cut off shorts and a bikini top taken on a girls holiday to Tenerife the summer before I'd started college the other side was all headline serial killers killer girl well i pitched the idea to my editor just as i explained it to you and then afterwards she was very excited and afterwards i came out onto the street feeling you know pretty pleased with myself and then i realized hang on a second i have no characters no plot i don't know what happens here so i came up with the idea of allison being who he confesses this new thing to. So he says he has something to confess. He's left out the worst part of all, but he will only tell the girl he was with at the time of the murders, who is Alison. And she was, you know, coming up from Cork into this amazing city, freshman in university. He was her first love. And she was just sort of finding her feet in the world when she discovered that her boyfriend, who she trusted implicitly, was in fact a serial killer and had confessed to the crimes. Wowzers. Yeah, bad day for Alison. <laughs> Shaw stepped closer and clamped a rough hand on my shoulder. I could feel his breath on my cheek. He looks the same. He acts the same. He will sound the same. Don't be expecting a forked tongue or red eyes. Don't expect a monster, even though that's what he is. So when you're in there, keep that in mind. Keep in mind what he did. Remember what he did to Liz. As if I had the pleasure of ever forgetting. Catherine Ryan Howard's book, The Liar's Girl, is published by Corvus and is available in all good bookshops and online. We're now leaving the Grand Canal to go back into studio and to hear about inspiration from other writers. My name is Anna Carey, I'm a writer from Dublin, and my latest novel is Molly on the March. It's about a girl called Molly who last appeared in my first book, uh, The Making of Molly, in Dublin in 1912, who becomes involved in the suffrage movement. And in Molly on the March, she wants to take part in a big protest against Prime Minister Asquith, who's coming on a visit to Dublin, but everything goes, uh, goes awry, shall we say. I was really interested in the Irish suffrage movement partly because we didn't really study it in school when I was, you know, doing Leaving Search History 25 years ago. And I went to a school called Dominican College in Drumcondra and Hannah Sheehy Skeffington, who's one of the most famous Irish suffrage campaigners, also went to the school. And the fact that she had gone there and we didn't know about it just seemed really, I suppose, emblematic of the fact that the suffrage movement 
is kind of ignored in the Irish popular historical imagination, less so now, but definitely over the past, you know, 100 years. And I got more interested in reading about it. And I thought, well, what would I have liked to read when I was, you know, about 13? And it was a book about that movement from the point of view of teenagers and what would it be like to to be a teenager sort of coming to a feminist awakening, which was something I'd experienced myself in the early 90s in a very different context. So basically, I wanted to write a, the sort of book I would have liked to read at that age and, you know, to write a funny book about Dublin history and Irish feminist history and make it entertaining, but also have have a basis in historical fact. I drew on, I suppose, my own teenage feminist awakening. So for Molly, it's the suffrage movement. And for me, in the early 90s, it was the X case. And in both cases, it's see, it was seeing something that makes you realise that women are treated in a, in a different way to men and don't necessarily have the same rights as men. And the way that changes how you see the world. So it's drawing on personal stuff in a historical context. I think you have to read really widely. So the writer Elizabeth Gilbert in her book Big Magic, which is all about creativity, says that when it comes to doing a creative project, instead of following your passion, you should follow your curiosity because your curiosity will keep you going. A passion will burn out when you're working on something. So if you have this inspiration that's like a bolt from the blue and this, you know, fiery, all-encompassing passion, it's very hard to sustain that over the period of time it takes to write a book. But I think following your curiosity just finding what are you interested in and one thing will kind of lead you on to another. So, you know, I started reading the old school yearbooks of my old school from the early 20th century and those gave me ideas and they showed me, you know, things that subjects that the girls would have studied in school and, you know, what their classrooms would have looked like and that sort of triggers ideas. And then reading the old newspaper reports about all the suffrage meetings, that was incredibly inspirational because, it provided all these tiny little details that, you know, sent me off in another direction. But I think when it comes to sort of finding inspiration, Judith Carr, the artist and writer who wrote, you know, The Tiger Came to Tea and When Hitler Snow Pink Rabbit, I saw her speak in Cambridge a few years ago and somebody asked her what she did when, you know, she had creative block because you know, she's been writing and, and drawing for, you know, 90 years, basically. And she said her solution was hope and lots of walks because going for walks tends to be when you know those moments of uh, insight happen all the all the reading and research that you've been doing suddenly you know becomes clear when you get away from the desk and away from the newspaper archive or the library or wherever you've been working that is the best advice i think i can give every, anybody you know if you're looking for inspiration hope and lots of walks And thank you to Anna Kerry, whose latest book is Molly on the March, published by O'Brien Press. Now, speaking of inspiration, when I was writing my own new book, Skin Deep, I was inspired by a song called A Lady of a Certain Age by Neil Hannon. Back in the day you had been part of the smart set You'd holiday with kings, dined out with starlets From London to New York, Cap Ferra to Capri 
In perfume by Chanel and clothes by Givenchy You sipped Campari's with David and Peter At nose parties by Lake Geneva Scaling the dizzy heights of high society Armed only with a checkbook and a family tree Chase the sun around the Côte d'Azur Until the light of youth became obscure And left you on your own and in the shade An English lady of a certain age And if a nice young man would buy you a drink You'd say with a I'm delighted to say that Neil Hannan joins me in the studio. Neil, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks, Liz. Um, I have to say, the first time I heard that song, it was. It seemed to me that it was such a complete story. And I thought, there is a book in that song. And I, I waited around for a couple of years to, for you to write it. And then I thought, he's not going to write it. I'm going to have to write this book myself. <laughs> so, of course, I can't write that book myself because I'm a different kind of a writer to you. So I threw it in, in a corpse well, in I'm the opening a, chapter. I'm not a writer at all. Oh, I think you are. <laughs> I think it's a lot easier to write lyrics. It really is because, um, you know, they're short. There's not many of them. Um, and I might have a, a gift for sort of synopsis, uh, really sort of bringing things down to their absolute kind of uh, uh, details. But I've tried occasionally to expand them outwards and actually yeah. it loses focus. You know, So much, so many of your songs that I've listened to, and I, I'm, a, I'm a big kind of a lyrics fan, but it, it's not just the it's not just the lyrics in the case of your songs. It's the arrangement of the lyrics. I mean, you you end the line of a song. You, you end the line of a sentence often in the middle of a, the line of the song, mm-hmm. and you carry on from there. And it's such a beautiful style of writing. They are perfect examples of flash fiction. You know, there is a twist in them. What's the first that? time, <laughs> flash fiction is like small, like 500 word pieces, or, oh, right. you know, very short, one or two. And, and there are people who write books of flash fiction, and I'm hoping you will one of these days. Oh, maybe I could handle that. Do. Yeah. There's a, the, the, I remember the first time I heard our mutual friend, and I actually gasped when I came to that point <laughs> in the story where uh, 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 the, the protagonist was betrayed by his mutual friend. Absolutely. Um, it's a bizarre love triangle in that it's song. It's beautiful. Uh, yeah. Came up with that walking my dog on Hampstead Heath and it jumped into my head fully formed and I thought, that's the first time that's ever happened. So <laughs> you know, I hope that happens again. And it never did. Oh, it's fantastic. So going back to the lady in the song, lady of a certain mm. age, the English lady of a certain age, as you say, um, who is she and where did she come from? Uh, she's a composite of various uh, books I have read, films I have watched and friends of my mum. OK, OK, <laughs> right. Um, you know, um, my my mum's from sort of hunting, shooting and fishing. Yes. Uh, kind of stock. Yes. Horsey. Lady. OK. Wax jacket. Uh, exactly. And um, uh, she had this lovely friend um, 
who I won't name, who would roll up, you know, to our sort of slightly moth-eaten rectory uh, in in a Triumph Spitfire, you know, wow. open top with the the uh, 70s kind of um, big Jackie O shades and um, uh, headscarf. And she was just all that. Glamorous. 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 It was like a little moment of glamour in our sad, drab lives. There are, there are similar... <laughs> she's such a distinctive character in the song. And there are similar characters um, mentioned in John Bonneville's Book of Evidence uh, when Freddie Montgomery comes back from spending time on the med and he's hung out with all these transients mm-hmm. who are, you know, just hanging on to the old style or the old life. Yeah. And I did spend in a month in Monaco and I met many of those characters. Really? Yes. And they became even more real to me. I mean, you just nailed that character in that song. And uh, I'm sorry that I couldn't plagiarise you enough. My story <laughs> took a completely right. different turn. Why you did know. you call her Delia? Uh, Delia, well, uh, well, there was a Cordelia. There's a connection to the name Cordelia. It's my third novel, so it's my third child. And King Lear's third child was Cordelia. Oh, very good. And uh, there is a sort of a King Lear connection as well, because Cordelia or Delia, in, in this case, has... Um, a very twisted relationship Mm. with her father. Yeah, yeah. Oh, doesn't she just? (laughs) (laughs) I'm only at page 86, so no spoilers. Okay, okay. (laughs) Well, now, um, I have to ask you, what kind of reading material do you normally consume? Okay, I have highfalutin ideas. Uh, You know, I always start into my Graham Greene and my uh, uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Lovely. Lovely. Recently, I had a go at Parade's End, Ford Maddox Ford, and my God, it's like huge. It's dense. Uh, and very dense. Mm. And the writing is tiny in a huge <laughs> book, and that's not fair. It's a bit terrifying, it isn't is. it? Those kind of books. Um, but I, I love the act of reading these things. It's, it's joyous, just the language. And, uh, and then I always get, you know, my problem, the reason I'm such a slow reader is that my mind wanders, mm. you know, uh, these these things inspire me and uh, I end up sort of drifting away and doing something for myself. Uh, and so, you know, if they get re- read at all, it takes six months sometimes. Uh, but in between that, I do. I read history. I like I history. Think, I think I'm your mirror image because I'm also easily distracted, but right. by songs like yours. Oh, right. And, you know, so, yes, Sorry. I'll have to stop <laughs> listening to music altogether, maybe, and maybe I'll be more. Don't productive. do that. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I won't. You did have a, have a book of lyrics published at one stage. Uh, yes, uh, the, the publisher came to us. Um, They'd done various sort of people, Roddy Frame from Aztec Camera and, yes. uh, you know, the Squeeze lyricists. I couldn't and, get uh, it. I couldn't find it. Is oh, it out of print or? Oh, I don't know. Um, you know, it was kind of not really our thing. So, um, Do you want to plug it now, name it and tell us who published it? It's called it? The Lyrics of Neil Hannon. They do have them sometimes on the merch desk at our shows. So you might want to come to a show. I have been to many of your <laughs> shows and I'll have to come back and, and, and uh, hunt down that book of lyrics. Um, I believe you are a big fan of, in fiction terms, A Room with a View. Uh, yes. Um, and and me, the film, actually. I yes. Love, I think tell the, me a little bit um, about that book and why it appeals to you. Well, um, I did a passage to India for um, my O-level English, mm-hmm. uh, E.M. Forster, and um, I loved it. And immediately, instead of 
reading the rest of the, the syllabus. I read all of E.M. Forster's novels, you know, one after the other. And uh, A Room with a View, the film, was just out at the time. That's how old I am. And it was just perfect for me. You know, I was 17, sensitive uh, and, like, uh, romantic. You could be uh, a character in A Room uh, with uh, a View. <laughs> you really could. <laughs> I wanted to be desperately. Yes. You know, I, and I am kind of a, a cross uh, between Cecil and uh, George, okay. you know, the two kind of crazy poles. For, for those who don't know the book, <laughs> I better give a little bit of a description. It's about a woman who takes a trip to Florence, which now isn't that unusual. She but is but a girl. She is but a girl. <laughs> but this is set in the early 1900s and it's a, it's a very romantic tale. It is. It's by far his most sort of uh, light and romantic book. You know, he... He really kind of poo-pooed it later yes, on. Yeah. Um, but he often said that he, he loved the characters, you know, yeah. and he loved the sort of the comedies of manners. And uh, I, I can see that yeah. sometimes in your performances because I've seen you on stage wearing frock coats and dueling with Duke oh, Special. I know. And all it this has a lot to answer for. So, yeah, <laughs> it's clearly the influence w- w- was always there. But um, it, it, it's a beautiful novel and... It has some very sort of deep moments and and sort of uh, it's rich in kind of humanity. Mm -hmm. Uh, But unlike most of his his other novels, no major character dies accidentally. Okay. Okay. So um, it's a bit lighter. So when you write the lyrics to a song, I mean, this is the most obvious kind of Blue Peter question, but which comes first? Is it the lyrics or the melody? Um, I actually do it in tandem. Um, but okay. it's usually they're not connected to begin with. Okay. Um, I am always sort of noting down things for for lyrical ideas and titles, especially I find very useful. I generally start from a title. Oh right. Yeah. Uh, you see, I am your mirror, mirror image because I come with the title <laughs> at the last minute. Oh really? Yes. I usually do that last for albums. I find albums very difficult to, okay. to title. But um, no, with songs, a lady of a certain age was one. I thought, yeah. I can I can write that, you know. <laughs> I, I kind of write lots of music all the time, and gradually I think, well, this is at a stage where I really need a, something to sing, you know. Sure. So I kind of look through my notes and I attach things. And, and when you have a tune uh, and you've got a lyric sort of integrated into that, you, you, you start to expand the lyrics. It, it kind of, the tune uh, rather tends to um, kick things off in your imagination. Okay. And mm-hmm. how long did it take you to write it? Th- that song took yeah. a while, um, but then again, you never finish one, one in one go, so you don't know exactly how sure. long it takes. You c- yeah. It was over the space of about three weeks, I think. Okay. I was writing it originally uh, with a mind to giving it to Jane Birkin. Uh, yeah, I read of, that. You know, Serge Gainsbourg. Yes. Fame. I just ended up giving her a different song because that one was. You mean too you actually know her? You hang out with Jane. Birkin? I have never met her. Oh my god! Oh, no, okay. I've I never met her. <laughs> I, I wrote for her daughter Charlotte Gansberg, and I met okay. her. And I always thought I'd bump into Jane, but no, no never happened. Mum was never home. Um, no, it was all sort of one of these long distance kind of writer. Do you think vibes. you were born in the wrong era? N- I always say no because if I'd been born fifty years earlier, I'd have died of TB or something. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am weak. Yeah. And uh, I had whooping cough when I was little and I was in an incubator and that, you know, that 
didn't exist, you know, know, before. We have to thank modern medicine. Yeah, I wouldn't have been a writer because uh, I I can only type with one hand uh, because of a a childhood accent. So I wouldn't have been able to write a book Mm. um, in another age. So we are. And a lady of certain age, uh, it comes from the album Victory for the Comic Muse. And I believe that title comes from a room with a view. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, Cecil at one point is annoying Lucy by having got uh, tenants for her sissy villa. And uh, he says, I even I have won a great victory for the Comic Muse. Fantastic. (laughs) It can't get better than that. So we'll just hear uh, the end of that song, Lady of a Certain Age. Thank you, Neil. Pleasure. Your son's in stocks and bonds and lives back in Surrey Flies down once in a while and leaves in a hurry Your daughter never finished her finishing school Married a strange young man of whom you don't approve Your husband's hollow heart gave out one Christmas day He left the villa to his mistress in Marseille And so you come here to escape your little flat Hoping someone will fill your glass And let you chat about how You chase the sun around the Côte d'Azur Until the light of youth became obscured And left you all alone certain age And if a nice young man would buy you a drink You'd say with a conspiratorial wink You wouldn't think that I was 53 And you'd say, no, you couldn't be 